0: Hey there, freedom lovers, Kurt Mercadante. This is the Freedom Media Network. So happy you are here today. If you are a first-time listener, welcome. If you're a long-time listener or a return visitor, welcome back. Now, today's episode is brought to you from a recent workshop in our Freedom Circle private men's membership group. It's for driven men who wanna free themselves from the limiting beliefs and the stress and the anxiety and the crap and the clutter and the tension that keeps you from living your life Fulfillment of joy and freedom. You deserve that, and I know you want that. If you're interested in joining, text me at 928 275 1511. Now, from time to time, we share clips from those workshops to promote the hell out of the Freedom Circle, but also to share the incredible content that we're sharing in the Freedom Circle. We have four or five virtual workshops, like the one you're going to hear or watch today each and every month. Now, today's episode is taking you from a workshop featuring Mark Zimzak. Now, Mark is head of the Sedona Quantum Consciousness Center here in Sedona, Arizona. He's a respiratory fitness specialist. He's got a master's in applied breathing science. He did an in-depth, a more in-depth workshop for the men at our Freedom in the Red Rocks Men's Retreat, and many of them said it will change their life for the better. Why? Because most of us breathe wrong. We go to our doctor and they have us hook up to contraptions and go under the knife, and it still doesn't affect the underlying problem. Sleep apnea, ADHD, respiratory fitness, your heart, a number of things that Mark is going to address today. I'm not hyping this up too much to say that today's workshop, if you listen to it and apply the lessons learned here, can change your life for the better. And if you don't want to apply it to your life, my God, if you have kids, apply it to theirs. So without further ado, here's Breathease for better health with our special guest, Mark Zimzak. Well, welcome, everyone, to another uh, awesome live workshop here in the Freedom Circle. Uh, Mark, uh, just so you know, the Freedom Circle is our private uh, membership group for men, and we deal with what I like to call uncovering holistically your freedom that's already in there so we'll do uh, sessions like this having to do with well as i learned today it's not just health it's health spirituality emotions uh we had a a a, a, um, a workshop last week on kind of letting go of the ego but we've also got business linkedin uh you know branding uh and, and the like so welcome here today i i i put this i ran into uh to mark Last week at Natural Grocers, and I kept I kept referring it to as breathies. He's like it's ease, although it's it's all the same thing. So it's actually breathies. But uh, Mark Mark and I met at a conference last year. Uh, Mark uh, had, is is from California, moved here like many have fled uh, the Golden State to come here to Arizona, uh, and escaped as refugees, and uh, and started what he's called the Sedona Quantum. Center, Uh, they have an incredible way when you talk about holistic freedom. uh, This breath ease program is just one of those programs they have, but they have biocharger meditation, something called uh, the the Holo Med Bed, a variety of topics. Uh, I'll share the website, not topics, but but powerful modalities that you can do. I've been there a number of times. Uh, I'm blessed to have known Mark. Mark, when we had our Freedom Red Rocks Men's. Uh, We took all the men over to the Quantum Consciousness Center and Mark did a, it it was about three hours, uh, a three hour program on breath ease. You're going to see a small part of that today. And I will say of everything in the retreat, the feedback I got was most powerful about this presentation because it will literally save your life most of us and i know richard uh is is going through the oxygen advantage with patrick mccown uh most of us breathe wrongly and and mark i'll I'll share a quick story you know julie as a speech therapist is really getting into myofacial release but also big into the types of food she's doing picky eating and also talking about the mouth breathing and what she's finding is there are so many parents that are in denial and or get very defensive because we come to see the term mouth breather as a derogatory term when it was originally used by uh, George Catlin. And it's it's a name that Native Americans had for white people because we breathe through our mouths, which is why our – and George Catlin wrote this at Weston Price Foundation, writes this about the aborigines in, in Australia. The literal shape of their heads are different than ours. We have flat faces which goes to mouth breathing. So I won't steal any more thunder from you, Mark. Mark Zimzak, incredible. Um, Thank you for joining us today.
1: Yeah, you've learned a lot, Kurt, right? And your (laughs) whole family is uh, benefiting from that. So I appreciate having people with smarts, with grit like Kurt and his family members to take information and run with it, not just take it and go, okay, that's good to know. At SQC, we're really aligned with what Kurt does because we're about freedom, right? And this breathing, the bio-optimization, you know, essentially, it's just one part of the freedom. We also host like a, a American national movement, um, you know, so freeing the mind, the body, the soul in many ways to become our best, our highest self. And so that's what SQC stands for. And we power people. We not just have the transformative techs which is wonderful, right? Like med beds and the biocharging and neural feedback and biofeedback. But we also um, we do it with community. So we do a lot of this transformative tech with community so that it can be a joy this ascension process, this health uh, moving higher in health can be joyful, right? And quantum, you know, we use the quantum field to assist us with that when we're in group prayer. And so we really encourage group prayer around some of our devices, the biocharger in particular, which uh, kurt Spanner Kurt was, he was amazing because he was, felt it from 300 yards away, like three football fields away. Kurt was like, something's going on. And it was in a I thought podium. I was having a stroke. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so, yeah, My my wheelhouse is breathing, you know, and I came to Sedona, one part, you know, one of my missions here is to help all the breath workers here understand some of the risks that they have with some of the methodology, the Kundalini, the Wim Hof, because there are inherent risks if if, um, you are having people move into these spaces and they pick up bad habits from them. So I'll get into a little bit about that. You know, and just to give you a little bit about myself, I'll talk, I have another slide on it, but I have a, a master's in uh, applied breathing sciences. And so I, you know, I, I tend to think I'd know a little bit about the breath after getting a master's degree in it. And we use capnometry biofeedback a little more on that in a second. So, you know, breathing health is, it's one of these pillars of health that few people understand, you know, we, we know about nutrition, how important that is. We know about hydration. We know about sleep and having mental balance, you know, getting our headspace correct um, and, and emotional balance. And, um, you know, but breathing is one of these pillars of health. People kind of forget or don't really understand. There's few people that really understand this aspect. And it really affects our health and performance and and breathing is related to sleep related to hydration nutrition exercise and emotional balance and all these are also affected by breathing so they're quite intertwined Um, you know it's the one thing the one habit we do we all have it's a habit both part of our autonomic nervous system but it's also a habit and Uh, So it's the one habit that we have from the beginning of our life to the end of our life. And sometimes it can go awry. And that's why I'm here to clear up a lot of myths and um, help you understand it from a deeper chemistry perspective. So my story, I was asthmatic at a young age, actually until middle age, till I was in my mid or early 40s, I was asthmatic. Um, And so, you know, breath to me as a dear dear to my heart and that I really thought I wasn't getting enough and I'll show you that over time here that I was getting plenty um, I managed to go to school become an engineer so my undergrad is in engineering and I was in sales for quite a few years uh, if I became a biohacker I found that I had some time because I was in sales and some of it went pretty smoothly so I ended up having some extra time to become a biohacker. So for 15 years, I got into the world of biofeedback, neurofeedback and other, you know, ancestral health aspects. Part of the reason I moved to Sedona, cause it's so vibrant with, you know, the possibility of moving higher in health since we're at elevation, we got abundant sunshine and we have this cold 55 degree Creek water that I live next to. So it's really quite awesome. Um, I met, you know, at, after, you know, 50, 12 years of biohacking I finally an opportunity came up to get a master's it came across my death in apply uh, my desk in applied breathing sciences and it, it just spoke to me it sung to me because I was would like to I wanted to become kind of a practitioner more than just a hacker I wanted to have some credential behind me to at least show people that I knew some stuff and this was dear to my heart so it's a cross training between behavioral health, physiology and psychology. So it really pulls together a number of different degrees and pulls it into one and it was an online program that was just fantastic and we use biofeedback equipment, specifically capnometry biofeedback to help people understand their breathing habit and if it's dysfunctional and then how to make some changes in their life to improve upon that. So I got into that. That's my daughter there and my myself you know 10 years back or so i don't know it's probably more like six years back um and this is we'll get into a little bit of the equipment a little bit later um you know when i changed so myself i i was asthmatic i said up until 40s and i finally figured out you know went to an alternative healthcare worker practitioner And she helped me understand how my gut was just inflamed, right? I was gluten. I was eating wheat products, dairy products, and that I was allergic to these. And so I fixed that, you know, over the course of a year, and it got a whole lot better my asthma. But it didn't go away, especially exercise-induced asthma. And when I finally figured out how to breathe better, you know, and improved my what we'll call respiratory fitness, I really went into a peak performance mode and was able to climb mountains. I've done a number of, you know, Rainier, you know, Shasta. Um, and, and I run up hills these days. I've never been in better shape in my whole life. And today I'm 56. You know, it's kind of sad. but And in some ways it's good. I feel great about it. And so I kind of um, walk uh, my talk to some degree and I have to keep it up since I'm talking about this all the time and showing people. And I've helped a lot of people out over time. So the highlights we'll get into is about dysfunctional breathing and how it's related to stress and how stress relates to dysfunctional breathing. We'll talk about some myths and the chemistry out there. Um, the dysfunctional breathing's health impact, uh, whether we're going to be have symptoms versus vitality as a function of how we breathe. And we'll talk about respiratory fitness and how to uh, pull off an optimal breathing habit or move toward an optimal breathing habit. And then a little bit about becoming more bulletproof, hormetic stress. No doubt Kurt's probably talked about, uh, if not, we can do another presentation on hormetic stress and how to harden yourself and become bulletproof. Uh, So one of the, when I give this presentation, like last night, I gave this to about 12 people here in Sedona and uh i have people fill out a breathing health quiz and this is on my breathing.coach website so you might just know it's pretty easy to remember www.breathing.coach uh which is one of my websites then there's also one at SedonaQC.org. it stands for sedona quantum org, where you can see the technologies but the breathing website um is really related strictly to my breathing practices. And there's a quiz right there at the front that says that uh, helps you understand without getting on the equipment, how well you breathe. And so there's a, you know, you can kind of look down this list a little bit and see that these are symptoms um, that typically one might have you know, the big one here is mouth breathing. You know, if you are a mouth breather, then that is problematic right away. But other signs that we might have uh, dysfunctional breathing is if you have chest tightness or your chest breathing, um, altitude sick, easy altitude sickness, anxiety or panic, dizziness, you know. Uh, rapid breathing, you know, uh, heart issues. So we'll get into a lot of the things that pop up if you are not um, a healthy breather a little bit later. And then there's scoring down at the bottom. So you kind of might you know who you are if you have uh, issues with breathing, right? It kind of, you know, certainly if you have sleep apnea or sleep issues or gunky mouth in the morning, that is a uh, product of, of, poor breathing at night so a little bit about you know my my family these are all members of my family and it's kind of like every when you have a hammer like oh i know now about breathing everything is a nail up there but no these aren't all my families there are some of them my two kids here i went back and saw pictures of when they were young they're now 22 and 23 um, but I noticed that their mouths were open in quite a few pictures, and I was like, "Oh, okay." And and they did have some issues going up, and Kurt can relate to this because I think he has a couple children that you know have their mouth open or did till he's corrected it, and unfortunately, and this is why it's dear to my heart to get this to parents especially because if you've got kids that have their mouths open most of the time or breathing mouth breathers, it's really going to hurt their performance in school, their facial features, a whole lot of things. And as I saw within my kids, my son had a lot of emotional intelligence issues, anger issues. Um, he was inattentive in school and you no know, reflecting on it, it. was like, oh, he didn't sleep so well, probably at night. Um, and There's a lot of studies out there saying, hey, if children are not sleeping well at night, then all bets are off as to how they're going to perform during the day. And so before you put them on Ritalin, you know, you ought to check their sleep. Well, I would say, hey, let's check their breathing because it's probably a function of how they're breathing at night as to whether they get good sleep or not can be a, a large factor. A large component and sure enough you know my son when we checked his chemistry out and this was more like when he was 16 yep it wasn't quite on it was off a bit as was my daughters and she had heart issues when she was six seven years old we weren't doctors couldn't figure it out it was just um, when she was hiking she was mouth-breathing and we think that was the case she had panic attacks when she was in high school um, and anxiety and before a test, she would lose a lot of, you know, all that she had memorized. And it was because, and we figured out, because we were doing it real time at this time that, at this point that, oh, she had her mouth open and was moving into an anxious state and hyperventilating a little, and it was causing certain parts of the brain to come offline. And so my father was a marathon runner, but ended up having a heart attack at age, you know, I think he wasn't even 60. We're like, what gives dad? And he's like, well, probably too many jelly donuts. No, like many runners, they mouth breathe all the time and it turns into a habit you know day and night and so when we checked his chemistry and this is more in his mid 70s yep sure enough his atrial fib and a lot of his other heart conditions his chemistry was really off with his breathing and it was contributing to some of his current issues we've got that somewhat remedied now at age 82. my aunt uh has pretty severe we don't tell her this but you know attention issues adhd and her facial features were elongated, in all a function of the way she breathed. So, uh, so you know, on this slide, I just your takeaway is, hey, if you have kids that um, have sleep issues, you know, let's let's get them checked out sooner than later. And so, there's a couple ways to do that. One with that breathing health quiz. Another we'll we'll look at here in a second. Come on, baby. Yeah. Well, let me start talking about this slide because I know what it is. It's it's a it's by Butenko. Who have you? Uh, someone here was reading Oxygen Advantage, Tom McEwen. That's wonderful. It's a fantastic book. Um, and and he dials it in nicely. You know, this is what how I look at breathing. Doctor Butenko was kind of the father of breathing. He was in the 50s and 60s. He was the uh, the head of the Russian. He was the head. Um, medical doctor for the Russian cosmonauts, and he really understood the breath like no other, um, and in fact, there's a test they, you know, it's called Buteco breathing method that is really helpful. And in fact, when I was, this hmm, 15 years ago, I looked it up and figured out how this breathing method could help my health a little bit. But it, it wasn't thorough. The coaching from the DVD just wasn't thorough enough to change my asthma, turn my asthma around completely. Uh, but nonetheless, there is something called a control pause that. Uh, he suggests, and this is another way that we can determine what how well we breathe. and so, if we were to just take a light breath in, we're not doing a whole lot right now, at least you're not. I'm doing a lot of talking, so I'm doing a lot of mouth breathing as I talk. but yourself sitting there, if you're not activating a whole lot of muscles, so you really don't have a whole lot of need for breathing, and we'll get into why in a second or in a few minutes. But right now do this quick little test where you're going to pause your breath on and kind of a midway through an out breath. You're not going to take a big breath. It's just a you know normal in breath, normal like almost all the way out and then we're going to pause and hold off um because first you want you don't want to see how long you can hold that breath. It's more a function of until you feel the first urge to breathe. So you want to pause and count the seconds it takes until the first urge to breathe so not how long but urge right uh, should we do it through our nose yep yep yeah. let's oh good thank you yes so not mouth breathing yes <laughs> through our nose appreciate that any other questions before we jump into this little test all right so we're I'll count let me get my timer on my phone here Okay. Are you ready? Uh, Here we go. A light in-breath, normal in-breath, normal out part way, and 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. Anyone still going? Okay, usually that – I had someone last night that was still going at 30. It was pretty amazing. And and um, anyway, he out-owned me during when we had Oming going on during the biochargers. So he wasn't kidding. I mean, I, I believed him when he said that he held it because no one has out-owned me before – But it's a testament to his practice. Okay, so what does this mean when we have, um, you know, when you're at 10 seconds or below? It would suggest that we probably had some of those symptoms going on or other symptoms with regard to uh, dysfunctional breathing. And, and it's not like, oh, you would breathe every 10 seconds. That's not what this is testing, is that you have one breath every 10 seconds. It's just that you're, you have an ability to pause for an extended period of time. And some people are like, well, I forget to breathe. And people notice that I'm not breathing. Well, yeah, you're sitting around doing nothing, and there's really not a whole lot of reason to breathe, maybe. So, you know, this pause can be upwards. Dr. Buteka would like to see it up at 60 seconds, believe it or not. Now, that's pretty crazy to me. I'm getting there in the 35 second range, you know, maybe on a good day, a little more bad day, not so much. But I'm working my respiratory fitness on a daily basis. So most people are in this 10 range, sometimes under if they have a lot of those symptoms that we saw in the breathing health quiz. Uh, If you're in the 10 to 20 range, that's better, maybe few symptoms. And if you're 28, you know, 20, 30, then likely not as many symptoms. Um, But still, in all cases, could stand to improve that respiratory fitness. So, um, yeah, and I'm not going to ask, you know, where people were at. It's just a way you can gauge. If you do take on improving your breathing habit, then... Uh, you can do this test every few days or at least once a week when you wake up in the morning before you crawl out of bed. Just do this control pause exercise and you'll notice if you're doing, you know, some of our other exercises throughout the day, that you will improve this pause. And so give yourself an attaboy, a little pat on the back for making progress, and you'll also see some of those, hopefully some of those symptoms go away. All right. So this slide that we've been looking at is just, you know, about all the chemistry that's behind breathing. And I'm not going to dive too much, but a little bit into this because it has a, it'll help shift your paradigm. And one of the things we have to do for people, I can't just give you a set of exercise and say, go do this. You have to see the why behind it, you know, and shifting one's paradigm is important. Oh, there was the control pause. OK, here was the slide. All right. But let's talk about some breathing myths that are out there. One is that we have to be mindful of breathing all the time. And that's not necessarily true. When we when we take on a new habit or a new skill set, yes, we need to be mindful of it. Because we're moving from, con- from unconsciously incompetent to maybe now you're becoming consciously incompetent incompetent especially if you were under 10 seconds then you're okay we would call it you know somewhat incompetent in respiratory fitness but now you're conscious of it we want to move during training to conscious competence where you are working it and you're consciously working it so you're becoming competent and then eventually it's unconscious competence right Where Hey, the breath is part of our autonomic nervous system, and it needs to be working with uh, for us without us thinking about it. That's where we want to go. And as the one habit we do 24-7 throughout our life, why not, right? This is a huge longevity hack, um, and I'll tell you why as we get into it. The other big breathing myth out here is that CO2 is a waste gas and nothing could be further from the truth. Um, we'll dive into that shortly. Uh, and likewise, more air, the better that, hey, air is free. Why not breathe, you know, big breathe all the time? And we'll, you know, we'll show why that's not the case. Chest breathing we'll get into and mouth breathing we'll get into also. There are myths that these are fine all right we'll talk a little bit about dysfunctional breathing and how it affects our stress levels and how stress will affect our physiology and our breathing itself so with regard to co2 being a waste gas you know i was a corporate wellness after i got the master's degree i was a corporate wellness instructor for quite a few years um they're director of an international company, you know, the corporate wellness guy. And then I did some corporate wellness for other companies. And, you know, one of the things I noticed that C level executives are very high in stress. I have other technology that helps look actually as determines a person's stress level. And they're very high. And so they tend to, you know, breathe heavy. Uh, But even the engineers, anyone under stress, you know, especially if they're just throwing down some food, they're not exercising quite right, then they're adding a lot of stress to their body. So um, just be aware of that. Catch yourself, you know, be mindful now if you do catch yourself, mouth breathing, you know, especially while doing emails or on the phone when you're heated, you know, we'll see that that's typically when we might be breathing a little bit harder when we've got our autonomic nervous system is in a little more overdrive situation. So CO2 isn't a waste gas, actually only about 17% of it is supposed to be expelled through the body. Um, The rest of the 83% is used internal to the body. Excuse this uh, poorly done slide, I went back and fixed it, but must have pulled up the wrong presentation. Uh, but essentially it, it's suggesting that nearly all our chemical reactions, our body are influenced by pH and pH as it turns out is a function of our breathing. So, and when I talk about the fluids in the body, I'm not talking about like the digestive tract that's going to change anywhere from 2.3 up to 8.3, you know, and, and, and Levels of alkalinity to acidity, right? But I'm talking about the pH of the cerebrospinal fluid, the interstitial fluids of the lymphatic uh, system, of the hemoglobin, right? Of the blood plasma. These all, you know, are mostly water, and hence the pH has to stay in a very narrow window. And that window is. Uh, Close to 7.4. It's between 7.34 and 7.45. That's where it needs to be. And we have buffer systems that help maintain this pH level. Uh, Anything below 6.9 or above 7.8 is fatal. So, So thank goodness we have some of these buffer systems. Um, So this is one of the, you know, things in our body that next to getting oxygen to the cells is the most critical thing in the body as far as minute to minute goes, maintaining these balances. So we'll see why, how breathing affects this pH. It turns out that pH is a function of of our bicarbonate buffer system, HCO3, which is bicarbonate buffers, over CO2. And what is CO2? Well, CO2 is breathing, right? Because if we're giving off a lot of CO2, or if we're holding a lot of CO2 in our system, right? Then we're changing that denominator. And so, if, um, and so if we're breathing a lot through our mouth, we're giving off a lot of excess CO2, and that's called the hyper hypocapnia and what happens is this ph goes up since the denominator goes down as co2 as we get rid of co2 the ph is going to go up and so we have you know more bicarbonate buffers will be made to help bring that ph into line but we can see that that eventually kind of gives out if we're over breathing too much and that's where the problems start to occur because that's when we start to have our ph a little bit out of balance if we are healthy breathers We tend to be here, you know, this is like the pH of 7.4 are where our problems start to begin. And if we are over breathing and giving off a lot of CO2, then we're more inclined to move along this line, right? Our breathing, our CO2 um at at times our ph will move beyond that where even our buffers can handle it and that's where symptoms start to occur if we are healthy breathers excellent breathers then we stay our ph stays within a narrow window here and we don't move beyond that 7.4 problem it's rare that we have um problems with respiratory acidosis which means that respiration we're under breathing and therefore we're moving toward acidity right what we do have is metabolic acidosis which is when we eat a you know a carbohydrate intense diet we tend to have more acidity in our body and that's where minute to minute our kidneys are or excuse me over the course of 48 hours our kidneys are helping to affect our ph as a function of what kind of foods we you know and you've heard of the alkaline diet versus you know non-alkaline more acidic so meats eggs butters tend to be acidic i'm not denigrating them those can be very healthy you know ketosis is a wonderful thing um however you know, if we have a lot of uncomplex carbs, then, you know, that's a different subject. But anyway, there's metabolic acidosis versus respiratory alkalosis. And so let me move on. (laughs) Another important aspect of um, carbon dioxide being important is something called Bohr's Law. If we don't have enough CO2 on the hemoglobin. We know that, you know, hemoglobin, our red blood cells are helping to move oxygen and CO2, you know, to the lungs and then away and out the lungs, you know, expelling the CO2. Right when our cells are respirating at the cellular level, they're giving off c o two taking in oxygen. Well, it turns out so on the hemoglobin molecule you'll have both oxygen and c o two that's what hemoglobin does is move transport these around that's a big part of what it does anyway and it turns out, according to bohr's law, that if you don't have enough c o two on the hemoglobin molecule on the blood plasma, then it's not going to release oxygen to where it needs to go. So CO2 is, in essence, a gatekeeper of oxygen. So if you've given off all your CO2, or if you're doing Wim Hof breathing, for example, every day, right, you're doing a lot of breathing, you're bringing in a lot of oxygen, oxygenating the cardiovascular system, the venous system, but it's not really going to get to the cells and muscles, you know, tissues that need it. And maybe the tissues don't need it at that point. If you're just sitting there doing Wim Hof breathing and not really moving, then... It doesn't need a whole lot of oxygen at that point. The muscles don't, right? The muscles give off lactic acid when we're moving. That's why when we exercise, we tend to breathe harder because we have to offset that lactic acid. And what offsets that? Well, the respiration, the CO2 does, or moving that CO2 out of there and bringing in oxygen. So that's where the respiratory alkalosis occurs um, to offset that lactic acid. So again, CO2 is a gatekeeper, to oxygen getting delivered. So, um, yeah. So, when if we want to become an efficient machine when we exercise, having enough CO2 in our system. And by the way, end CO2, meaning the CO2 that we breathe, that's directly correlated to the CO2 in our venous, in our cardiovascular system. So it's kind of one to one related. So when we measure with my equipment the CO, end-tidal CO2 coming out of the nose, we're measuring um, the CO2 that is in the in the blood as well. So another number three reason CO2 is important is that it's a vasodilator. Those of you that take Viagra, you know <laughs> that's a, that's a vasodilator, right? That's not necessarily CO2 doing that. It's nitric oxide doing that. But in, the, in this case, hey. The CO2 can also dilate the blood vessels. And so, um, you know, if if you have hypertension, you know, that's a function of constricted blood vessels. So having better CO2, having better breathing can help with hypertension. Um, You know, and so we are more efficient at moving our blood plasma around when it's dilated as opposed to constricted. Um, Headaches, migraines can be a function of constricted blood vessels as well. Um, so bronchial tract, the CO2 actually opens up the bronchial tract and allows the smooth muscles of the bronchial tract to open up. So as an asthmatic, this was counterintuitive, but I actually had to stop breathing in order for those, uh, the bronchial chambers to open up and to calm down. And that was very difficult to do because when you're in the middle of an asthma attack, you tend to think you need more air. And when I was able to shut that down and more calmly get into parasympathetic and quiet the breathing down, yep, sure enough, it opened it up and I was able to not use some of my, you know, Provental, some of those other medications they give you, you know, that end up hurting the heart, by the way. Um, Hold on one sec. It turns out CO2 also helps with the GI tract and smooth muscles of the gut. So, Uh, it helps, you know, the, uh, what do we call it? Well, it's essentially the digestion process, peristalsis. That's the word I was looking for, moving the gut motility, moving the food through the, through the gut. And so having good CO2 and having good diaphragmatic breathing helps with this, you know, moving, um, food through the system. CO2 also plays a role in electrolyte absorption, um, and so it's kind of critical. If not, if you don't have good CO2, then the the, the uh, cells are going to start robbing some of the minerals from the bones, and even in those cases, it may not get into the cells as well. So it's it's important from that standpoint. I'd also you notice that uh, CO2 is a part of those molecules or atoms also fall into hco 3 so it's part of our bicarbonate buffer system so it allows for more bicarbonate buffers to get made in the kidneys so quite critical Um, it's like the best supplement in the world and it's free if you know how to let it build up in the body which we'll get to so number three myth wise is that more air is better well turns out that you know people think that hey air is free but kind of like food You know, more is not necessarily better. (laughs) So my sister, who was a swimmer, is like, Mark, how come I'm so exhausted at the end of swimming, you know, for her half hour? It's like, well, how often do you breathe, Mary? She's like, every stroke. (laughs) I'm like, oh, well, you're not doing that much exercise when you you swim um, that you need to breathe every stroke. So I had her start breathing every five strokes. I breathe every seven or eight strokes when I swim now and it it, ends, it turns out that yeah you don't need that especially since you're breathing through the mouth when you swim you don't need to breathe quite as much uh we'll talk about chest breathing right now because if you put your one hand on your heart or up on your chest and one hand down on your belly take a minute to do this and just kind of breathe through your nose and just notice where each which hand is moving more is it the one in your chest or the one down in your belly? Well, I didn't, little story, I didn't know about how important diaphragmatic breathing was, and I went into uh, an alternative care practitioner, this is probably 15 years ago at least. She's like, oh, I can tell you're a chest breather. And I was like, what? What does that mean? <laughs> Sounded derogatory, kind of like mouth breathing, chest breather. And she's like, well, you're, the shape of your chest is, is tells me that you're a chest breather. And sure enough, yeah, because of my asthma, I've been using my scalene muscles and some accessory muscles, my pecs, to do my breathing. So I was breathing up here through a lot of my life, and it had reshaped my whole chest. It's quite dysfunctional looking. I've, I've fortunately over the 15, past 15 years that got changed around. Um, and so, yeah, ideally we want to be down there in the diaphragm, down there in the belly breathing because it helps with digestion. It also is much more parasympathetic, meaning much more rest and digest activating than sympathetic. When we're in our chest, we tend to be in a fight or flight moon. It may not affect the chemistry a whole lot, but it does affect our muscles and our, our mental game. So, mouth breathing. I kind of already mentioned that, you know, that mouth breathing is, is it fine? No, not really. Why is it not fine? Because when we breathe through our mouth, especially at night, we're giving off a lot of CO2, excess CO2. Because we, um, you know, we're taking in a lot of bacteria through our mouth when we breathe through our mouth. Um, We're not getting, I'll talk about nose breathing a little bit, but essentially the big thing is that we're giving off way too much CO2. And we can see that in the equipment that I have, uh, although we won't be getting to the equipment today. Sleep disorders occur with kids, you know, sleep disorders, dental plaque, long face syndrome, which we'll talk about. I have a slide on throat digestive disturbances, cavities, right? Male occlusion of the teeth. Let's talk about that a second. Because Western A. Price, you know, he was a dentist back in the 50s and he did a lot of studies on Aboriginal tribes and was like, whoa, look at this. When he he looked at their traditional diet, they had great teeth and jaw structures. And as soon as we switched them over to, you know, shitty American diet, um, you know, things went awry. The next generation, you know, it got worse and the next generation after that, even worse. Well, yeah maybe the food was a part of it but you know epigenetics it could have been a function of quite a few things including the because if they were eating more carbs instead of going out running and catching their food maybe they weren't breathing correctly either and we'll see that breathing has a big impact on the facial features so here's at, at the top of this slide Let's try this again. Ooh, doesn't want to? Okay. we're going to you're going to have to picture this other slide here. (laughs) It's called long face syndrome. And essentially, and I have I have several family members with this, that if we don't have the tip of the tongue on the roof of the mouth for most of our life, what happens is that the face starts to droop. In many cases, not always, but in many cases, the face will droop and the jaw the jaw droops down and there's male occlusion of the teeth so that um, the the whole mouth becomes smaller. Then you have to get certain teeth removed in order for them to be straight, you know, whether it be wisdom teeth or other teeth, and that's problematic over time. That's a big deal, not just because it costs money, but because, you know, when you get teeth removed, there's the possibility of cavitations and other issues over time. And so dentists, you know, I went to a lot of dentists, but they didn't seem to care about this uh, because I figured they would know whether someone is a mouth breather or not. And they they just want to sell an appliance, to kind of open up the airways um, or do surgery. So I was a little dismayed. Um, But anyway, so this face kind of sags down and the nose gets bent. And so, you know, because of the facial face changing. So this is a great way to incentivize kids, you know, teenagers or even young ones. Hey, you want a pretty face. And most of us parents want our kids to be pretty. And it's a much prettier face when you're breathing through your nose instead of through your mouth. And if it's happened that Okay, because teenagers, you still have some plasticity in the face up through age 20, 22. So there's slides. I don't have them here, but I've seen YouTube videos of people that kids that put the roof of their tongue. You have to put the back of the tongue up against the palate, you know, through the day and be mindful of this to really put pressure back up on the face in order to move that jawline back up. And you have to be a nose breather at that point. So, okay. Mark, I, I, I want to jump in here because
0: a, a big part, you know, reading Patrick McKeown's book and, and going through your, I've been through your your presentation, Julie's been through your presentation, and Julie is a speech therapist. I mean, it really impacted her in terms of it. You know, we have, uh, our daughter it has like perfect teeth, right? But but our sons, uh, two of our sons did not, and one of our son is undersized and would always wake up. Uh, it was clear he had sleep apnea. And I know a big part of the ADHD, and I'll call it epidemic because really what it is is people just saying they're not sitting still in class, so they let's put them on drugs, which is like I won't go there. Um, but it's it's um, and and by the way, that's that's with adults too, and the doctor doesn't ask about any lifestyle factors. I recently got right. into it with a doctor about this, and I and I, I said that's <laughs> malpractice. Um, so what we started doing was uh, mouth taping. Uh, we, Julie and I mouth tape, we're never sick. We wake up in the morning. Our teeth are spotless, no bad breath, no morning breath. Why? Because that bacteria is not. So we started doing it with our kids because we took them to dentists and the dentist said, oh yeah, we either got to pull teeth and you need braces, which is, you know, what, 5,000 bucks a person. And we had been through your presentation. I said, I'm not paying that. Of course, as a parent, you're scared, and you would rather throw money at it and go away and be unconsciously incompetent. Like as I tell parents, I don't give a shit what you do for yourself, but when it comes to your kids, don't be unconsciously incompetent, right? Get yeah. to that point where you can help them. So we we they mouth tape at night now. Uh, our our son is now it, because you know sleep affects, like you said, the growth. He's sleeping through the night, um, but they're teeth are changing my son my oldest son is 13 he's almost 14 his teeth he used to have this big gap are changing guess what it cost the price of mouth tape and (laughs) at during the day at various times uh, julie got something called a munchie and it's uh it's a um it's it's almost it looks like a mouth guard and they put it in while they're watching tv so instead of having tv apnea right? Where you sit there watching TV. And by the way, there's something called email apnea too, where you sit there and you yeah. type and right,
1: right. Right. They, yeah.
0: When they read in the morning or watch TV at night, basically they got to keep it in and what it does, well it helps with the teeth, but it also keeps their mouth shut. So they have to breathe through their nose. So it like basically reprograms their subconscious to then become unconsciously competent. Um, so I just want to say as, as a dad, like, yeah, it's worked for me. Adults don't care. Adults would rather throw money and and breathe like shit for themselves. But for your yeah. kids, my God, yeah. do this for your kids. I want to save you five grand a kid, uh, right. you know, and <laughs> I want to save you from God putting your kid on these powerful drugs. It is it is I have I have relatives who are teachers and they say these teachers, the kid can't sit still. And so they put them on a powerful drug and it's just yeah. So yeah,
1: so what got me into this because my son, they wanted my son on these things is what got me into neurofeedback. I didn't realize at the time that was really a, a strong part of it was a function of his breath. So it was kind of late. But you know, now he's a peak performance guy in the Navy, you know, one of their special ops programs. And so it it is life changing. So thank you for that story, Kurt, because it, it is we need to really help the kids out and throwing money at, and the dentist. They, they, you know, just like doctors, that that system is just messed up, you know, that they don't look at epigenetics and lifestyle factors. And they're just not taught that to some degree, you know, a little compassion around. They're not taught that. And there's reasons now that we know we're all awake as to why to some degree. But but nonetheless, that's great. So um, I would like Kurt before I forget. I want to, if you don't mind, sending me information about that or a link to that mouthpiece because I want to incorporate that into my presentation. And oh, the munchies? Office. Yeah, the munchie. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'll, yeah.
0: I'll send you a link. I'll send everyone a link because everyone asks how I mouth tape with my beard, and it took <laughs> it took months of testing, and we found something called Kineso tape, which flexes with my beard but keeps it shut uh so yeah it's it's uh that that was a challenge but then i had someone else who just uh, who got something that actually it's more like a a a head sling actually he, he bought it on amazon yeah. at your presentation using my retreat yeah. and it's a and it's you know it keeps the mouth closed so yeah I'll yeah, also do that yeah.
1: So there are different ways to skin that cat the head sling is one of them 3m mouth tapes the cheapest way for those without beards but do throw me that other um stretchy tape that you know i'd love to see that as well thank you for all the extra homework you've done on this kurt this is fantastic yeah, having someone that <laughs> <laughs> cares about this as much as i do it's beautiful so onto the nose, we have these, well, well, why nose breathing? Why is it so important? Well, olfactory receptors, because we can smell, you know, and our ancestors, of course, you you know, that was really important to them to for catching food or finding, you know, food. Um, and so, you know, they were always breathing through their nose, uh, you know, and when they were hunting, even they were breathing through their nose. And so they naturally built up good respiratory fitness. Um, filtration and immune health, like, you know, we have these cilia in the nose beating at 800 times a minute. It's the best, you know, HEPA filter out there better than any HEPA filter, I should say. Um, and so filtration wise, you know, whether it be the pollutants that are out there, the chemtrails that are out there, uh, you know, we need to filtrate a lot of the, the pollens that are out there, you know, it's better to have it filtrate, you know, uh, a filter on this. So, the nose is important there. The smaller passageways is a biggie. So when we're breathing through the nose, we can't, we don't have quite the volume that we do when, as when we have our breathing through the mouth and hence it's a slower process. And so that slow, uh, the slowed breathing is much more parasympathetic. It's much more rest and digest. So it curtails the rapid breathing and the heart loves that we won't be able to see, cause I don't have the equipment with me today. But when you start breathing slower, the heart rate comes down. So it's a big longevity hack too. Cause when you have a lower heart rate, you're essentially adding life, you know, adding more heartbeats or adding, <laughs> you're not, you're not racing through your life quite as quickly. And so it's another reason to get your nervous system in check. Um, the nose breathe. And when we breathe through the nose, it warms and moisturizes the airs for better flow into the lungs. The other biggie is that we've got nitric oxide production occurs in the nasal cavities. And so when we breathe through the nose, the nitric oxide is distributed throughout the body. And and NO is a was the molecule of the year in the late 90s. It's a big vasodilator. It's also kind of a neurotransmitter. And so it has quite a few functions in the body that I won't dive into, but it's kind of like a, a Viagra too. It really opens up the, uh, venous system. So, and prevents blood clots. So, um, yeah, another reason that you don't want to shortchange the nose breathing. And by the way, um, when you, I was going to say nicotine is, is actually helpful for eradicating, um, viruses. If you believe in virus theory, you know, they noticed that those people that smoke, do not end up in the hospital with covid and they were strangely surprised by that thinking that smokers would have poor respiratory health when in reality they had they were knocking out viruses so just a little tidbit not that we smoke through our nose or anything (laughs)
0: well i've seen three people over the last week pull down their covid mask to puff on a cigarette so I won't I won't I won't think badly of them anymore they're actually saving their lives (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) poor health with one habit and better health with the others Uh, Okay, so we all probably understand what these chemtrail thingies are up to and how they're throwing poisons at us left and right, including in the air. So it's another reason to be breathing less and breathing through our nose because when we breathe less, we're essentially taking in less of this pollution. All right, so what happens when we're over-breathing, breathing through our mouth? Or rapid breathing through our nose. Not that too many people do that, but if we're doing this over-breathing and we have this physiological degradation going on—vasoconstriction, you know, uh, re- reducing the blood flow, smooth muscles of the gut constricting, bronchial constriction, these pH imbalances going on, electrolyte imbalances in our buffer system, you know, being out of balance—and we've got this sympathetic activation going on, where we're in more fight or flight. Then we start to then symptoms start to show up like emotional imbalances, you know, cardiovascular issues, palpitations, angina, arrhythmias, you know, increased heart rate, peripheral issues will show up. So these can this is maybe not always not all of these are caused by over breathing, but they can be exacerbated or caused by over breathing. Uh, you know, the list goes on. Respiratory complications, shortness of breath, bronchial constriction, asthma, vascular conditions, you know, hypertension, migraines, thrombosis, performance deterioration, you no know, sleep apnea, poor sleep, poor focus because of that. Uh, altitude sickness, you know, and decreased consciousness, dizziness when we're over breathing, you know, confusion, brain fog, for that matter. The list goes on to kinesthetic balance, eye hand coordination, sensory decline, skeletal muscle decline. Again, if we're not getting the good electrolytes into the um, bones, we're going to have some skeletal issues over time. Uh, tetany was another one there. That's where you're kind of cramping up. If any of you have ever done any holotropic breathing or doing breath work, right, where you're purposely over breathing for an extended period of time, some of these breath workers say, oh yeah, just work through the tetany. It'll, it's fine. It's fine. No, it's really not. It's a sign that you're, you're moving in a really wrong direction pH wise, and it's causing problems real time um gi issues nausea cramping bloating so if you tend to have any of these symptoms on a regular basis maybe it's a function of the way you breathe stress and hypervigilance you know cognitive impairments again that attention deficit poor memory learning deficits you know both my kids this was affecting their cognitive capacities you know through the day um and so you know i wish i had caught this a lot sooner so you know key point here is that hey co2 extremely important um mouth breathing really not the thing you want to be doing and but you want to be doing nose breathing all right moving on how does breathing go out of whack Yeah. Well, hey, Mark, starts-
0: I want to real quick. Uh, sorry, just, so we're at eleven. If anyone needs to go, this will be archived later today. Uh, send me any questions. I'll get them to Mark if you have to leave, and 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 we'll we'll get that back to you. So,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay, please great. continue. <laughs> okay, thank you for letting me drone on. <laughs> um breathing you know we we have these childhood traumas you know from even just being born can be problematic right when we're not born in water we're you know i don't want to say but you know it can be quite traumatic early on in childhood um our you know we get shamed we get bullied you know we have accidents all the time right we have pollens in the air that may make us stuffy or you know not be able to nose breathe at all for that matter. Right. So maybe uh, we become more hyper vigilant because of these different things that go on. And it doesn't have to be just in childhood, although we carry on a lot of things that occur to us in childhood. It can be, you know, when we're older for that matter, we're still in this world that is, you know, suggesting somehow that we need to be more hyper vigilant and sympathetically activated to get things done you know it could be just the way we exercise for that matter oh i need more air therefore let me breathe through my mouth and that extends that habit extends to when we're not exercising so there's just thousands of different ways you know um, if, if And if our mental stress is off, right, if we have these environmental triggers, if we, you know, our mother-in-law is yelling at us or we come home to a spouse that, you know, we don't appreciate, right, and we're triggered by a spouse or, you know, at work we have a office, you know, fellow employee or a boss that we don't jibe with, right, it can step up our hypervigilance, our sympathetic nervous system, um or even scary movies for that matter right we have this apprehension worry fear panic mode that's hitting us all the time and our nervous system is an over aroused our heart rate is going up our breathing's going up to get ready for fight or flight our pupils are getting are dilating right but we don't do anything you know in the end we just kind of sit there well wait presentation needs a little revamp um if there's no movement and the buffer system is weak already, then your CO2 is going to plummet and your pH is going to go up and you're going to have electrolyte imbalances. And that's where, you know, our stress, this stress, this outward stress that's out here is going to actually turn into inner stress in our physiology. So this is where the rubber hits the road, that this outer stress that happens from childhood, you know, through now, is creating a stress, a sympathetic arousal that has us breathing, and it's then causing these stresses on our physiology. And then it's causing disease over time. So they always say stress is the main cause of disease. Well, this is how it does more specifically and this is why things like meditation are so important just to kind of clear this process this stress level down there are other things cold water you know there's a lot of other things that we can do but meditation is probably the best known for getting down you know moving our sympathetic into more parasympathetic so if we can get our mental head you know our head straight and our inner calm you know there and we can get our respiratory fitness jacked up a little bit. Um, then our pH buffers come in line, our electrolytes are better, blood flow, nitric oxide, oxygen delivery is better, pH is in the zone, and life gets better, you know, a whole lot better. So that's why this training is worthwhile. And we can move into a more optimal breathing habit, which frees up, you know, our stress levels, improves our cognitive performance, attention, sleep, athletic performance and emotional intelligence, right? All these things can really, and I've noticed myself, wow, I'm just getting a whole lot better at other parts of life uh, just by having a better breathing habit. All right. Um, so how do we go from here from, you know, having poor respiratory fitness to (coughs) better health, you know, and better respiratory fitness? Well, first and foremost, there's this education, this paradigm shift you have to have, which hopefully this presentation gave you or reading some of these books, you know, like The Oxygen Advantage. You have to shift your belief around breathing. Taping's the big one, as Kurt alluded to, right? And if you, you know, are scared of this or maybe the first time that you do this at night, you might want to just put it on before nightfall for half an hour just to get your nervous system used to having tape there. And used to breathing through the nose, and of course you want to work before you do that. You want to make sure that you're nose breathing through the day. You don't want to try and work it at night if you're not comfortable nose breathing through the day. So first you want to do some training to increase your nose breathing habit during the day, and that might be things. It's that. Well, what what are the things that we can do through the day? Um, well, be mindful first of all that we're breathing through our nose. Catch ourselves, you know, if we're ever mouth breathing, and change that around. You might even want to wear tape at times through the day. Um, another is really improving our ability to hold CO2 in our system. So essentially, we're desensitizing our system to CO2. Believe it or not, it's CO2 that tells the brain. So in the back of the brain, there's something called the the pons and the medulla, and they have sensors there and throughout the body on how much CO2 is in the system. And if we have, if the body is sensitive to CO2, it has us breathing like every few seconds, like we breathe, breathe, breathe breathe and I put people on my equipment and sure enough I see them rabbit breathing their heart rates up they're in this hypervigilant state and so we want to calm that down the way to do that is for that co2 sensor not to go off this quickly so we have to acclimate to having more co2 in our body and the way to do that is just holding our breath right so there are three d- dive tables I have pictures here of um, divers because they have some of the best respiratory fitness in the world they can hold their breath for minutes underwater at depth um i think the record's 26 minutes not at depth but just you know slightly underwater and so these guys really have desensitized themselves to co2 (coughs) um another way you can do it i run let me see if i can show you i run i have a steep hill here that i live on and so I'll actually run this hill every other day, do interval training on the hill with just nose breathing. I used to, on flatland at elevation, at zero elevation, I would run sprints Uh, at first just running all out as hard as I could nose breathing. And then, oh, to develop even more CO2, you know, desensitization to CO2, I would run sprints while holding my breath. Don't start with that, right? Just get used to hiking, walking with nose breathing if you are a mouth breather. But eventually, you can move to some of these other more hardcore hacks for developing, um, holding more CO2 in your system. Uh, Capnometry, biofeedback um, is another. and, And let me back up to other exercises that you do. You have to use your own imagination here. You know, what exercise do you like to do? through the day? Do you like to hike? Do you like to swim, right? Just work to where you have a shortness of breath, essentially, where you are putting a hermetic stress on your respiratory system, where you feel like, oh man, I'm not breathing well. I need more air. Well, live with that air hunger, right? Be it, feel it, you know, encourage it, because eventually you're going to feel like when I first started these hills, I could do one and I would have a light jog up here. Now I do four or five of them. And I'm virtually sprinting uphill at elevation. You know, We're at 4,500 feet here. Capnometry biofeedback. I don't have my equipment here and we're out of time, but essentially I have equipment that helps people look at their breathing chemistry, at their heart rate, at their CO2 levels. And when they see it real time and they see their pH is low because their CO2 is off, and then they feel it when I have them over further, it really sends signals to them. So if you happen to be in Sedona and you want to spend some time on my equipment, it really can be life-changing, especially for kids, and to play around with this. Um, even if you've done the work and you eventually come to Sedona, it might be rewarding. I have to charge you, but it still can be rewarding for you to see. Like yesterday, I have a didgeridoo player in my group last night and his breathing was fantastic because what do you do when you play the did? You really have an extremely long exhale. And so he had a chart that kind of looked like this one. This is heart rate and heart rate variability that we won't get into, but part of one of the bigger biohacks is increasing your heart rate variability. And I also help people do that with this equipment. Um, I also help them with reduce their muscle tension with this equipment. Um, we also want to do consciousness hacking, which is calming the mind. So for that, you know, to accelerate that, um, mental fitness and calming, you know, the, the mental chatter that's upstairs, uh, we have neurofeedback at our center. Um, and if you haven't looked into that, there's, there's ways to do neurofeedback fairly inexpensively. Now used to be with kids, that they need 40 sessions and you would really change kids or adults for that matter. And you still, you know, a lot of neurofeedback practitioners, I'm sure there's one in your town if you're in a fairly good sized town and these uh, neurofeedback is essentially expedited meditation, you know, and we do full QEG, which is a brain cap that measures the different, you know, 20 sensors or 20 parts of the brain and looks at the different brain waves to determine what might need to be tweaked a little bit in order to bring about a calmer state uh, or a better state for that matter, depending on what one values. So these are different solutions. Um, You know, if you want some coaching on this, just to help along these lines, you know, I can be employed, you know, for that sort of thing. Kirk probably could, too, at this point, (laughs) so um, and I will have some certification level training classes for becoming a formalized breathing coach that is not a breathwork coach, uh, rather a breath ease coach, so that'll be coming up here in Sedona um, toward the end of the year.